Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Some breaking news. The North Carolina Republican Party has announced its lineup for its state party convention. Um, So it looks like it's going to be on Friday, June 9th in Greensboro. And Saturday, June 10th. And maybe another day on Sunday. I don't know. Let me see here. I'm just reading through. But anyway, they've announced the, uh, the, the speakers. So let's see here. The keynote speaker on Friday night is Ron DeSantis. And then the keynote speaker on Saturday night is Donald Trump. Um, Mike Pence will be the speaker at the Freedom Luncheon on Friday, June 9th. So he got the lunch slot. Mm. Let me see. I'm I'm just looking at it. Uh, it's NCGOP Convention. Is that NCGOPConvention.com? I think is what it was. Um, where did it go? Two, 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 two. So June 8th through Sunday, June 11th. Okay, so it's Thursday through Sunday. Um, yeah, they've got Mike Pence. They've got Ron DeSantis. Uh, Ralph Reed, the founder and chairman of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Um, all right, so there you go. But they don't even have the... Hmm, interesting. So Carolina Journal is reporting that Trump is going to speak on Saturday the 10th, but... Um, the actual party itself does not have on its website, does not have that, doesn't have it listed. So, all right. Well, like I said, breaking news. You heard it here first, unless you got the emails. Um, <laughs> all right. Speaking of Donald Trump, we've got some updates on what's going on in D.C. over the uh, the laptop and... The weaponization of the uh, the intelligence community against Donald Trump et al. So let's start here. A scoop from Miranda Devine at the New York Post. This has to do with the Hunter Biden laptop BS story that it was Russia, Russia, Russia. Okay, the ex CIA chief who wrote the letter that was signed by fifty one former intelligence officials falsely claiming that emails from Hunter Biden's laptop published by the New York Post before the 2020 election were Russian disinformation, right? That ex-CIA chief, Mike Morrell, misled his fellow signatories when he assured them that he would, quote, clear the statement with the publication review board at the CIA the following day. Now, I don't know much about this process, But that seems bad. That seems bad. And a complete shocker that the ex-CIA chief would mislead anybody. As far as I was, I mean, I always heard the CIA, you can trust them on everything. They always tell the truth. And just, by the way, for the record, as I always do, 
Whenever I talk about the CIA, the FBI, or the IRS, love every one of you guys, totally above board on everything, uh, would never insinuate any kind of malpractice at all. Guys are awesome. Okay, so now that I've got that out of the way, my disclaimer, this seems pretty bad. This seems pretty bad. So what happened, here's the timeline. October 18th, 2020, right? Right before the election, actually a couple days before the debate, the only debate between the the basement-dwelling Joe Biden and, uh, you know, Donald Trump, uh, the only debate that we get is about to happen. The Hunter Biden laptop story has popped. October surprise. And so Michael Morrell... Right, He gets the phone call from Antony Blinken, now the Secretary of State, but at the time he was working for the Joe Biden campaign. And Blinken talks to Morell, and Morell has testified in a deposition to the committee that this is what triggered him to write this letter. So he gets, uh, what's this guy's name, a former CIA agent named Mark Polymeropoulos. They drafted a letter, and then they send it over to these, you know, 50 intelligence community officials, including former CIA directors John Brennan, Leon Panetta, Mike Hayden, among others. And they say uh, that they have drafted the attached letter because we believe the Russians were involved in some way in the Hunter Biden email issue and because we think... Trump will attack Biden on this issue at this week's debate, and we want to give the VP a talking point to use in response. Right? So to me, pretty clear, this is an in-kind political contribution, right? They are, well, maybe not in-kind. It's just, a, it's just a political campaign contribution. They want to give him something to say when this laptop is brought to the attention of the American public that will be watching the debate and probably hadn't heard anything about it up until that point because the New York Post had had their Twitter account shut down. They had the ability to share the article locked down, right? The other media outlets around were, were not reporting on it. Remember, NPR said that they were not going to participate in the coverage of it because they didn't want to misinform their audience. They said it was, it was not true. Do we ever get an apology for that one? Anyway... Morrell asks the CIA alumni in the group, make sure that, you know, when you write who you are, highlight your Russia work in your affiliations when you're doing your little bios there, when they sign the letter. And then he says that he will get pre-publication clearance from the CIA tomorrow. But the letter was published by Politico the next day. So did he get the approval? Well, according to this piece by Miranda Devine, there was no time for the pre-publication security review by the CIA. And by the way, this is a lifelong obligation of all former agency employees. And according to this report, this process to get the pre-publication review, it takes months, which is another shocker, right? A government approval process would take months? That's surprising. It also omitted the boilerplate disclaimer required by the CIA to be included in any such intelligence assessment, which would have said, quote, 
All statements of fact, opinion, or analysis expressed are those of the author and do not reflect the official positions or views of the CIA. Right? So that wasn't even included in their letter. They left that part out, which maybe if they had gone through the preclearance review, then that would have been included in the letter because the review people would have been like, oh, make sure you include the boilerplate disclaimer that this is y'all's opinion, not ours, not an agency opinion. Michael Morell had no time for the official security review because he wanted to give a talking point to Biden in the debate. Right? He said it in the letter. He said it. He gave the explanation. He then went under oath and told the committee the same thing. He wanted to help Joe Biden. So either he lied by telling his uh, his fellow uh, CIA people, intelligence officials, he said he was going to get the preclearance. So he either lied then, right? Or somebody at the CIA violated their own policies. That's according to Tim Parlatori, who has spent the past year pursuing the 51 intelligence officials on behalf of Trump. He said, quote, When you think about the speed at which the CIA works in the pre-publication process... That would be pretty stunning to get an okay that quickly without the required disclaimers. It would implicate someone within the CIA in the plot against the president. That's possible. Don't know. Who knows? Maybe the CIA was able to get that turned around that fast for some reason. I don't I don't know. Like like a new guy on the job didn't know it better, you know, like hey Rookie, stop working so fast. You're making us all look bad. Like that kind of thing, you know? Or maybe somebody just showed up into work and they were like, oh, look at this. This is on the top of the stack. I guess I'll do this one first. And then they're like, no, no, you fool. You're supposed to start on the bottom. Those are the oldest. Like, oh, my bad. Maybe that's what happened. Or maybe they didn't get it. Maybe it didn't even go through a preclearance. We'll be monitoring that one. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? A reminder, uh, actually, I think, I, I don't know if I've said this before. Well, we mentioned it a little while ago when we were doing the coolest dog contest. But on Friday, this Friday, May 12th, uh, the Kiwanis Barbecue is going to be going on at First Presbyterian Church in Uptown Charlotte. It is located at Trade and Church Street, obviously. Um, 11.30 until 1.30. Tickets are 12 bucks. You get the barbecue and the fixins from Max Speed Shop, which is fantastic, by the way, if you've never had it. Um, they got the pickup uh, availability, or you can eat on the lawn under tents. It's rain or shine, and all of the proceeds are, are going to go to send underprivileged kids to a week of summer camp at Camp Greer. And it costs about... I think they say it's like 500 bucks per kid. So uh, they're looking to send 35 kids to camp this year. So 
if you want to uh, help send some kids to camp, which is really cool. Like a lot of kids never have an opportunity to get out to a to a summer camp like that. It's a it's a good thing. It could be a life changing thing for these kids. And so it's uh, twelve bucks again Friday eleven thirty until one thirty at First Presbyterian Church in Uptown at Trade and Tryon. So swing on over and get some lunch on Friday. Two of the most prominent signers of the infamous Hunter Biden laptop letter, according to Jerry Dunleavy at the Washington Examiner, former CIA director John Brennan and former director of national intelligence James Clapper. They are slated to testify before Congress this month as House Republicans investigate the effort to discredit damning stories on Joe Biden's son just before the 2020 election. And that is really what that letter was about, right? It was an effort to discredit the stories, the reporting. You had the one prong where they were shutting down the dissemination of the story, banning the New York Post on Twitter and that sort of thing, banning any sharing of the links. But then the other part of it is to discredit it, right? To say that it smacks of Russian disinformation, and you know us, we wouldn't lie to you. We're simply the former heads of the CIA that never lied to anybody. And now we find out, actually, they did. Like, Mike Morrell didn't get, apparently, didn't get the uh, the preclearance that he promised he would get. And they had no information at all about whether or not it was Russian disinformation. They simply relied on their credentials as, quote, the experts. We are the experts. We This is what's called an appeal to authority or expertise, but an appeal to authority. In other words, in like a negotiation, they, you, you appeal to a higher authority. You're, you're making this argument and you're going to appeal to the authority. That's what they did. They didn't prove. They just cited their credentials and You need to listen to me because I know what I'm talking about because I'm an expert. Yet they used that credential in order to shut down questions about what they were telling you to believe was true. The news of the transcribed interviews with Brennan and Clapper confirmed to the Washington Examiner by a source familiar with the sweeping investigation by the GOP-led House Judiciary and House Intelligence Committees comes on the heels of testimony by Mike Morrell, the former Obama CIA acting director, who said that Anthony Blinken had triggered him to write the letter in the first place. Brennan is going to appear before the select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government, uh, which is chaired by Jim Jordan. So Brennan appears on May 11th, which is Thursday, and then Clapper is going to appear uh, May 17th, the following week. Also, a nugget I was not aware, Mike Morrell has a podcast. It's called Intelligence Matters. So many meanings. So brilliant. But apparently he hosted a bunch of these people. 17 of the 51 laptop letter signers were on his podcast. (laughs) He had them on the podcast. Good to know. Joe Biden's 2020 presidential campaign quickly dismissed the laptop story as a Russian disinformation operation. Biden called the story garbage and part of a Russian plan during an October 2020 debate with then-President Trump. The now-president was referring to the Politico report about the letter in an article titled, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinformation, dozens of former intel officials say. 
Now, Brennan and Clapper, uh, particularly Clapper, he says there was message distortion. He didn't like that headline because we never said that. We never said that it, it was disinformation. We said it sounds like disinformation. See, which is totally different. Yeah, that's very, you are correct. Bob, very good. Bob in an email says, Pete, the CIA, the system failed. That's it. System failed. It's, <laughs> it's always the system failing. Hat tip, Brett Wintable. So the House Oversight Committee chairman, James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, he claims that the House has collected evidence showing the Biden family's involvement in a criminal scheme, which will be presented on Wednesday. Mark your calendars. Unless, of course, unless, of course, the Department of Justice goes forward with charging Hunter Biden with something before Wednesday. And I guess that's possible. After waiting for, you know, three years, they could just file the charges and then that might short-circuit all of this. So James Comer, Congressman Comer, says he has evidence purporting to show that President Joe Biden and eight other members of his family had received payments from the Chinese Communist Party in exchange for lobbying for Chinese interests. The payments and lobbying reportedly came during Biden's time as vice president. I am as shocked as you are. Based on the fact that nine different Biden family members, if, if all of them go, hang on a second, if all of them did this and all of them go down for this, Like, is this the, is this like the wiping out of the Biden dynasty, the Bidensty, just all at once? One fell swoop, whoosh, just, they're all in prison, <laughs> and that's it. No more Bidens ever again. Like, salting the earth here. With, <laughs> I, 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 that's astounding. Nine different members on the payroll. Nine members of the family getting paid with that sweet, sweet commie cash. Based on the fact that nine different Biden family members have been receiving payments from a web of LLCs, limited liability corporations, LLCs, that are receiving payments from adversaries around the world, this fits a pattern of questionable behavior that the Biden family members have been doing to receive funds. Once again, ask the question, what is the product or service that the Bidens provide? What is the Biden family business? What do they do? Where are the widgets they make? No, they traffic in influence and access. That's what they're selling. This was their attempt at the Clinton Global Initiative, right? That This is what they were running. The problem is they, I guess they had too many members of the family, right? You got too many people involved. I mean, the Clintons, it was just them too. Easy to contain that, you know, especially if you're running your own homebrew server and you can wipe it all like with a cloth afterwards, like that kind of, I mean, at this point, really, what difference does that make? Okay. Uh, So we take this whistleblower claim very seriously, says Comer. It's a whistleblower claim. We know this document exists. Apparently there is a document and they say it exists and we know the FBI has it. I can tell you this. The Biden family have received a lot of payments from the Chinese Communist Party from entities that are state-owned entities. 
Comer announced that he had subpoenaed the FBI director Christopher Wray over a document that apparently shows direct evidence of then-Vice President Joe Biden receiving direct payments from a foreign national in exchange for policy decisions. This seems kind of bad. Guys, I'm not sure. Yeah, like if that's, yeah, if that is actually the case, if there is this document and they say it is and a whistleblower claims it's true and that's how they got the information, if this is all true, this seems not very good to launch your re-election campaign in the midst of this. Yeah. Comer announced, uh, or he went on to say rather that he and uh, Senator Chuck, uh, Chuck, Chuck Grassley, you could tell I've been doing this for like four years, um, Chuck Grassley, Republican, Iowa, he's going to hold a press conference on Wednesday where they're going to present evidence to the public, including bank records showing the Biden family's dealings with foreign nationals allegedly in return for influence on the government. So now I'm kind of curious, what did the Chicoms get? What did they get? What was the influence peddled? Right? They took all this money from the Chicoms because they had to, you know, they're they had to start building the landing pad. They had to, you know, cushion that landing pad after 40 years as a public servant and only three houses, right? They they had to figure out a way to land softly, which is really weird because, you know, when you think about all the expertise that Hunter Biden has in like international finance and, and, and the, you know, global oil industry and hookers and blow, like you would think that a guy with that kind of knowledge would be super employable for his skill set. But I don't know. They apparently were pretty worried. So they had to create this softer landing pad. And uh, so that's, I guess what they were doing, but I'm curious, like, what were you, what access were you selling? Nine different members of the family, nine Bidens, nine Bidens. That sounds like a gang. <laughs> it sounds like a gang. The nine Bidens. He sleeps with the nine Bidens. Well, actually probably be more like, <laughs> like that whistleblower. The whistleblower is going to provide some very crucial information to our investigation and we have given the FBI until May the 10th to produce this document. Oh, the MECDEC. MECDEC declaration. Oh, the Mecklenburg Declaration uh, anniversary. Is that the 10th or is that the 20th? May 20th. I'm not originally from North Carolina, so I do not need to know that as my birthright, just as a heads up. It's on the flag, though. I forget if it's the... Anyway. Um... It's not real either. But anyway, Comer pleaded with the FBI not to indict Hunter Biden before the press conference. He says such an indictment is possible and it could be over the illegal weapon purchase charge. Remember that one? Good times. You remember those days? Yeah, when he filled out the, yeah, he lied on that form to get his firearm. Yeah. Never faced any punishment for that. But the punishment, if he if if they were to file charges... Comer says that would just be a slap on the wrist. Such an indictment would jeopardize the Oversight Committee's investigation into the larger charge he will put forward on Wednesday. So now I'm intrigued. Is it possible that Comer and Grassley got nothing? 
Is it possible they don't even have anything here? And they're just saying, oh, please, oh, please, FBI, don't charge Hunter Biden, knowing that the FBI is going to be like, we're totally going to charge him now. Comer said that Wednesday's briefing will clear the way for a Department of Justice investigation into the president and his family. I'm sure Merrick Garland will get right on that. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. It could be what China did not get, meaning less harsh treatment from the Obama administration when it came to international trade and not going after China as harshly for its spying and tech infiltration. It also explains why Biden needed all those documents in the garage. It was to help him and his family with international dealings. Yeah. No, and I said, DK, I said that at the very beginning. I said when those documents turned up, I said in his office and then at his house, I was like, this is obviously connected to what he needed the documents for, for the, quote, private sector stuff, you know? Clearly, clearly. Um, here's a weird story. I don't know why this story just, uh, I don't know why. Well, I do actually because of who it involves. It's very weird. It's a story out of Nashville, Tennessee, a business traveler spending the night in a Nashville hotel, woke up to find the manager of the property sucking on his toes. Who among us? Really? No. The victim said he was sleeping at the downtown Nashville Hilton Hotel on March 30th when he woke up at about 5 a.m. to discover the manager, David Patrick Neal. Doogie Hauser is a hotel manager, guys. I had no idea. I thought he was doing very well in Hollywood. Apparently not. David Patrick Neal, 52, was indulging in a foot fetish on the lower digits. Startled. The guest said he screamed, and he called the police. Doogie later said, oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's not Doogie Hauser. Sorry. That's Neil Patrick Harris. This is David Patrick Neal. I apologize. Okay. Wow. I mean, it's still a weird story. Anyway, Neal later said that he used a cloned key to enter the room because he smelled smoke. Although police reports noted that he had not reported the smells of smoke to anybody else at the time. Neil has a long rap sheet that included manslaughter for shooting his roommate in the 90s. He was arrested and charged with aggravated burglary and assault. The guest, identified as Peter Brennan, has now sued Neil for sexual assault. He told WKRN that after being awoken in March, he immediately recognized Neil because the manager had visited the room the previous night to fix the television set. And I guess it was at that point he saw the toes. I have to. Um, 
I have to believe. Look, if you've got this sort of fetish, like this is the thing. That's his kink, right? This uh, this manager guy. That's what he loves. He's a shrimper, right? I think that's what they call him. He loves the loves the toes. He just wants to nibble away on, suck away on the toes. Okay, well, how do you know that that guy in the room has got some great toes for you to nibble on? How do you know that? How would you know that? Unless, of course, he calls you to the room to fix the television, but then, like, you think it's going to lead someplace else, but actually, no, he just needed you to fix the TV. So you fix the TV, but maybe in the process... You see, he's barefoot, and that's when you spy his 10 little toes. And you're like, oh, my gosh, those are beautiful toes. I don't know. I'm just kind of filling in the blanks because the story didn't tell me this stuff. So um, he immediately recognizes Neil because he had visited the room. When police arrive, Neil admitted he used a cloned key to access the room, but then he threw it out after he got caught. Um, the victim's attorney, a fellow by the name of Michael Fisher, Really? The guy, really? The attorney's name is Fisher? Going after the shrimper. Okay, never mind. Uh, he was appalled. The Hilton, uh, the Hilton Hotel had hired somebody like this guy into a job where he would have unmitigated access to guests' rooms. Because apparently the murdering of the roommate in the 90s during a fight, and Neil had said that, he did it in self-defense, but a jury found him guilty of the voluntary manslaughter anyway. Um, aside from that, he's got charges for forgery, drinking and driving, the manslaughter conviction. That went that sent him the way to, uh, to prison. They So Hilton had to have known this, and they did a background check, right, to know that they would be putting somebody like that in a position where they have the ability to clone keys and get into the room, Right? I mean, the forgery charge, like, to me, okay, all right, look, voluntary manslaughter. Who among us really might, okay, no, but still, the forgery charge, that's a big one. You're going to let somebody run the desk at your hotel, and they got that going on? And then there's this, this tale out of Florida. A Florida man is facing backlash, but not really. After competing in a women's poker tournament and winning, <laughs> he beat he beat like 80 women in this poker tournament. David Hughes participated in a $250 buy-in Ladies No Limit Hold'em event at the World Series of Poker's Ladies event at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida over the weekend. Social media was quick to skewer the gambler. Hughes, a 70-year-old from Delton, Florida, was allowed to enter the all-female tournament alongside 82 women. Per its anti-discrimination legislation, Florida casinos, by law, cannot ban men from entering into a women's tournament. Nevada, by the way, also prohibits excluding men from competing in a women's tournament as well. So he beat all of these other women. He takes home $5,555. Um, the second place finisher was a poker player, I guess, professional named Diana Chiabaton. Chiabaton? Chiabaton? Whatever. Uh, pro poker player Ebony Kenny took to the Twitter machine to put out a bounty on him. 
That is a thing, apparently. I did not know that you could do this, too. But in tournaments, they put out bounties on people, and so it rewards players. If you're able to knock out a player from the tournament, you get paid extra from this bounty. So they had raised like 600 bucks to try to knock the guy out, and they didn't pay out because he won the whole thing. (laughs) I don't know why that story makes me smile, but it does. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.